0: Tonight it's kind of an odd topic, I'm calling the talk Paradoxes of Fullness, and I'm actually going to begin in an odd way, I'm going to play a little bit of music, just about 30 seconds of music at the very beginning. just a, a little tease of that. That was Summer from the Four Seasons. Um, tomorrow, of course, is the Summer Solstice, the first day of summer, which is in many ways the inspiration for this talk. It always fascinated me. So that that's from a set called The Four Seasons. It's four violin concertos by Vivaldi. Vivaldi lived end of the... 1600s beginning of the 1700s he would have been alive at the same time as as mr bach and and mr isaac newton um vivaldi was actually a a roman catholic priest apparently he had bright red hair so they called him the red priest he wrote over a hundred concerti but these four he specifically called the four seasons and and used the 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 seasons as inspiration. So the, the spring one is very familiar. That's kind of, that's almost the archetypal Levaldi piece. And you you hear it a lot in commercials and department stores and that sort of thing. And it's very, very optimistic and cheery and sunny as you'd associate with spring. The autumn one is also in a major key. It has this sort of lovely refreshing quality. Um, the winter is in a minor key and it's very tragic and And, you know, as you'd expect, this sort of harsh kind of condition for winter. Um, But it always fascinated me the summer concerto, which I just played. It's in a minor key, and it almost has a mournful quality for summer. And it reminds me what the, the mystics often say. The first day of summer is the first day of winter. Because, of course, tomorrow is the longest day. And because it's the longest day, the only place you can go from there is to decline. So, in fact, starting tomorrow, for the next six months, the days will get shorter until the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. Now, I will say they don't get... I'll step in as an astronomy teacher for a minute and say they don't get shorter at, at a constant rate. They actually... It's actually... They get... For the first few months, there's hardly any change. They stay more or less the same. And then they start dropping precipitously around the equinox. That's when we're, you know, week a couple weeks before the equinox, a couple weeks after the equinox, we lose almost an hour of sunlight just in that short period. Um, and then it kind of bottoms out and stays at a low level for a while. But nonetheless, it, it's this fascinating perspective that, um, you know, when you reach, reach fullness, fullness naturally alternates with emptiness. And we see this both in the cycle of the day, I mean, the cycle of the year, as well as in the, the waxing and waning of the moon. The waxing and waning of the moon, you know, the beauty of the moon itself is the way that it comes and goes, And so it got me thinking a lot about fullness and what does fullness mean and what are the kinds of fullness we pursue and what are, you know, what what are the kinds of emptiness that lead to fullness and the kinds of fullness that lead to emptiness, you know. And of course, we have this wonderful expression in English for a person to be full of themselves, you know. And we've all met people who are full of themselves, you know and what what in a way is sad about that behavior is of course in a way it's a bid for connection it's a bid for attention and approval um and there may be some insecure people who who respond to someone who's full of themselves um but by and large people who are emotionally healthy are going to avoid the person who's full of themselves you know and so it's it's a dysfunctional bid for, for attention and approval. Now, by contrast, you might say the opposite. A person who, who empties himself in the sense of being humble, curious about others, in touch with their own vulnerability, that person is going to have a much easier time connecting. And in fact, someone who walks through the world consistently in that way, very humble, curious about learning about others, um, authentic and vulnerable, that person's probably going to meet with a lot of connection and a lot of attention and a lot of approval, you know? And so it's it's this funny, just a, a very simplistic example of how fullness leads to a kind of emptiness and emptiness, keeps leads to a kind of fullness, you know? I do want to specify for a moment about humility. Um... I, I feel like there's a, a way in American culture we have, to, we have to really be precise about what we mean by humility because there's such a high incident of toxic shame in America. And sometimes humility gets confused with shame states, you know. So I want to be very clear that the person who says, I need to be last, I need to be, like, I am the worst person, the least worthy person in the room, that's not really Humility. That That's more a shame state. And um, and it's funny because the person who's doing that, in a way, is also full of themselves. It doesn't look like the proud person, but either the person who is stuck on the narrative, I need to be better than everyone else, or the person who's stuck on the narrative, I need to be worse than everyone else, um, either one of those, they're stuck on a narrative that's preventing them Promoting to others, you know? Someone stuck in, in one of those shame states of I'm worse than everyone else is not, is not really in a good position for connecting with others. Humility, the, the word humility actually comes from the Latin humus, ground. Humility is about being on the ground. It's about being eye to eye with everyone else, you know, meeting everyone else as a peer so humility sets us up for healthy connection as opposed to either the the full of themselves pride state or or the you know the self-abasing kind of state now one of the questions that that fullness raises fullness and emptiness raises is just the question of you know between the maximum and the minimum what is enough you know, how good are we at telling when we have enough? You know, when do we have enough attention from others? When do we have enough approval? When do we have enough connection? You know, when are we getting enough compliments? You know, like, it's we're very keenly aware when we're not getting enough, you know. But are we aware when we cross that line of, when well, I were getting too much, you know. And it's funny, a lot of these things, it's, they're all analogous to, in many ways, our physical appetite. You know, biologically, our physical appetite is, it's programmed such that we know when we're hungry. Like, even when you start to get a little bit hungry, you know, and if you, for whatever reason, you skip a meal and you've gone a little longer, than, like, then you really, really know that you're hungry. Like, you have no doubt about that. No one has to learn hunger. Hunger is innate. But satiety, the place of knowing that I've had enough to eat and that I don't need to eat anymore, that's really difficult. And that's something that it takes training, it takes practice. You know, and even when you practice it, it's so easy just to overshoot it. And, you know, well, the food's good and then you eat too much, you know. it's uh, And so it's really funny. It's almost an art. So... Hunger is innate. No one has to try to learn how to be hungry. We know that. But learning how to have a, where, what enough is, that takes incredible skill. And again, that's almost an art to master that. And really with almost all the other, quote unquote, appetites, all the emotional appetites, you know, appetite for emotion, for, for attention, appetite for approval, you know, we're keenly aware when we're not getting enough. But it's almost a level of mastery to know when we're getting enough. And I'm getting enough, I don't need to pursue more, you know. Attention, I'll say, in particular, is interesting. Attention, in many ways, is... Attention is pure gold in the psyche. Attention is, in some sense, the... Attention is, is, you might say, almost the currency on which the entire psychic system runs... Um And all the places in us that are crying out for attention, usually crying out in some unpleasant way, like an inner critic or a you know, a, a nagging voice within, or something like this they're places trying to get attention. you know, And when we can give them mindful, loving attention, that's actually what's healing in the psyche. You know, I I really have a sense that um, many of the many of the most attention seeking behaviors we see out in the world. You know, drama is really about attention seeking Um, that if people that really the antidote to that would be people learning how to attend to themselves. And, you know, because the more one pays attention to oneself, the less one needs to you know, chase after the attention of others. So I want to talk a little more about how these dynamics of fullness and emptiness show up in the world's scriptures. So I'm going to quote a few things from from various scriptures. First of all, from the Christian Bible. And the first passage I'm going to quote is from the first chapter of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And it's, it's a passage called the Magnificat. Um, it's a hymn that Mary sings, a hymn of thanks that Mary sings on the occasion of her visit to her cousin Elizabeth. And just to, to fill in a little of the story, Mary at this point is pregnant with Jesus, and her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Um, and so Mary sings this hymn, um, known by its, the first word in Latin, the Magnificat. And this hymn has been used um, uh, a great deal in liturgy throughout the Middle Ages, through the Renaissance, into the modern period. It's been set to music dozens and dozens of times, uh, most notably by Mr. Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, but this is, in English, part of the Magnificat. Mary said, his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And there are a number of wonderful images in that. I I love that image. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, you know, and it just makes me think of all the times that I was a bit proud and a bit full of myself and that there was a way that just the world conspired to instead of assisting me, it kind of thwarted me and, you know, scattered me in a way in the imagination of my own heart. You know, it's a it's a it's a powerful dynamic. And I think I've been, you know, more than I'd like to admit, I've been on the receiving end of it at various times. Um and it 's also just wonderful to think about you know the times that we're we're truly approaching a situation um you might say hungry for the right thing, hungry for hungry to do the right thing, hungry to have the right connection, versus the times that we walk into a situation proud, full of ourselves, you know and and you know, it's not hard for any of us to imagine we get very different outcomes in those situations. Another passage from the Bible that I read that, that follows much, much of the same logic. This is actually the words of Jesus. Um, it's, at the, it's from the Gospel of Matthew at the beginning of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount begins with this passage called the Beatitudes. And so I'll just read a few of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see god blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of god and again each one of those is is embodying a kind of emptiness that leads to a kind of fullness you know, and there's there's many ways to think about all of them, as uh, I think I've pointed out in, in other sanghas, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth. I think a very simplistic, literalistic way is that, you know, you know, I'm just going to be meek and God's going to come, come along and say, you inherit the earth, you know, this sort of thing. Um, I think, you know, you might say a more Buddhist way or, or just more mystical way to look at that is that when I am meek. That is to say, when I drop all my self-talk and my self-importance and can just show up with the world as it is, I, quote-unquote, inherit that vivid experience of the world. A few also from the Tao Te Ching. The Tao Te Ching, obviously the Tao Te Ching is, is very much into this the, the yin-yang flow and you know, fullness leads to emptiness, emptiness leads to fullness. So one quote from the Tao Te Ching: As for holding to fullness, far better were it to stop in time. So again, about this this knowing this skill of not going not maxing out, but when do I have enough? You know. In another passage: He who keeps the Tao does not want to be full, but precisely because he is never full, he can. Always remain like a hidden sprout and does not rush to early ripening. And especially in the Chinese worldview, the idea of a hidden sprout, that's almost the, the maximum of vital energy, you know, because that's the energy that's going to burst forth into the plant, you know. And so it's almost about, you know, this kind of emptiness that allows me to stay in this place of maximum potential you know, and just hold on to that and not spill out of that too soon, you know. Another one, just very simple from from the Tao Te Ching, humility is the root from which greatness springs. Um, that one is is almost self-explanatory. Another one from the Tao Te Ching: Great perfection seems imperfect, yet it is exhaustible, inexhaustible. The greatest fullness seems empty, but its use is endless. The greatest straightness seems crooked. The greatest skill appears clumsy. The greatest eloquence sounds like stammering. This is this this side of Taoism that you we can see plays very. Uh, very clearly into Zen Buddhism, which derived from Taoism. And the final one I'll quote from the Tao Te Ching, There is no calamity like knowing what is not enough. I'll say that again because it's just so simple and plain. There is no calamity like not knowing what is enough. You know, and so all of those those are kind of christian and and Taoist perspectives on emptiness, and of course then that that leads us to this Buddhist idea this Buddhist technical idea of emptiness um, and I always think that the the word emptiness in some ways is not the best word for describing what Buddhism is getting at, so in Buddhism, emptiness. Roughly speaking, so I'll give a very rough cocktail party description of emptiness. Emptiness is when I'm having such a vivid experience of the present moment, experiencing the sensual world in just its pure suchness, that my sense of self drops out. You know, that in other words, it becomes empty of the dynamic of a difference between perceiver and perceived, and I'm just fully in the experience. And so it, you know, I think a better, a more descriptive term might be something like non-dual mindfulness or something like that. What, 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 what usually gets called emptiness. But again, um, obviously that is, a, you know, it, in a way it is a kind of emptying, but it also is a profound experience of fullness, um, Sometimes that experience in, in Zen Buddhism is called kensho, the, uh, the, the, the vivid experience of the world in a present moment. So at this point, I'll share the quote sheet. So the Zoomies have the quote sheet the Rummies. <laughs> don't get up <laughs> so I have the the New Testament and Taoist quotes at the top like yes um, the link was to the joy versus fun I think oh that was weird hold on thought I I thought I copied this link maybe I didn't Let's try that again. There's a link. That, okay, we're getting thumbs up on that. Okay, very good. All right. Um, the Hasidic saying, quite simple there's no room for God in Him who is full of Himself. Very clear from the Taoisei Zhuangzi. If a man is crossing a river, oh my, what's uh... What is going on? I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure what's going on here, why it's making that noise. Can you hear that noise at home? Is that coming from the computer here? Um, no, I what's computer, that? I it. Yeah, there's a, there's a All right, let's just try and The great technological move of plugging it in, (laughs) unplugging it, replugging it. The magical technology move. All right. There we go. Fullness and emptiness. All right. From the Taoist say Zhuangzi. And I'll I'll say of all the world's scriptures, I love Zhuangzi. It's really the only one that makes me laugh out loud. It just is. Zhuangzi was a wonderful, playful writer. But this passage, he says, if a man is crossing a river and an empty boat collides with his skiff. Even though he is bad-tempered, he will not become angry. (laughs) But if he sees a man in the other boat, he will scream and shout and curse the other man to steer clear. If you can empty your own boat crossing the river of the world, no one will oppose you, no one will seek to harm you. This is the perfect man. His boat is empty. From the great mystic John of the Cross, in prayer, come empty, do nothing. The psychologist Eric Frome said, well-being means to be fully born, to become what one potentially is. It means to have the full capacity for joy and for sadness, or to put it differently, to awake from the half slumber the average man lives in and to be fully awake. from Antoine Saint-Exupéry, the author of The Little Prince, how could there be any question of acquiring or possessing when the one thing needful for man is to become and at last to die in the fullness of his being? From the Zen teacher Soko Morinaga, without staring death in the eyes as the perpetual reverse of life, we cannot live fully and completely. from that amazing mystic David Stendhal Ross, love wholeheartedly, be surprised, give thanks and praise. Then you will discover the fullness of your life. Thich Nhat Hanh said, we spend a lot of time looking for happiness when the world right around us is full of wonder. To be alive and walk on the earth is a miracle, yet most of us are running as if there were someplace better to get to. Ursula Le Guin said, We know that there is no help for us but from one another, that no hand will save us if we do not reach out our own hand. And the hand that you reach out is empty, as mine is. You have nothing, you possess nothing, you own nothing, you are free. All you have is what you are and what you give. Rosemary Waldrop said quite simply, To encounter anything fully is to touch its absence. I think of that that great story of the Zen master, and I'm I'm forgetting the name of the Zen master, but he would take a teacup and he would say to me, this teacup is already broken. And because it's already broken, I realize how precious it is when I use it, Pema Chodron said, "To be fully alive, fully human, and completely awake is to be continually thrown out of the nest. To live fully is to be in a no man's land. To experience each moment as completely new and fresh. To live is to be willing to die over and over again." And I love that because the you know the the sense of being full. It's not some comfortable like arriving in fullness. It's it's almost this you know being completely unsettled in it. You know, Joan Halifax said, when we walk slowly, the world can appear fully. Not only are the creatures not frightened away by our haste and aggression, but the fine detail of fern and flower or devastation and disruption becomes visible. Many of us hurry because we do not see what is really going on in and around us. We are afraid to let our senses touch the body of suffering or the body of beauty. That's just very very poetic, you know. What would it mean to allow your senses to touch fully the body of suffering or the body of beauty? Ezra Baida said, opening fully to the unwanted is the key to awakening. (laughs) Always the advice that we at least want to hear, you know. Judith Blackstone said, the emptiness referred to in the teachings is not vacancy or hollowness. It is not an escape from ourselves. It is the laying bare of ourselves. Eckhart Tolle said, Gratitude for the present moment and fullness of life now is true prosperity. Arjuna Agda said, The first thing you discover is a kind of emptiness, a silence, a presence which doesn't seem to have content to it, like looking up at a limitless sky. That boundaryless place inside you is your own consciousness, your awareness. When you relax into it, you realize that it's also full. It's everything. You realize this presence is what you really are, love. And Adi Ashanti says, if there is a path at all, it is emptying yourself of everything you are not.